0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Pastors Bible Study. I'm Lance Marshall, one of the pastors here at First Church in Fort Worth, and we're continuing our line-by-line study through the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4, beginning with verse 21 today. Of course, if you want to catch up on any of the previous chapters, you can go back to some of our other videos, or you can jump in right here. We're going to begin with reading Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Jesus said to them, Does anyone bring in a lamp in order to put it under a basket or a bed? Shouldn't it be placed on a lampstand? Everything hidden will be revealed, and everything secret will come out into the open. Whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. He said to them, listen carefully. God will evaluate you with the same standard you use to evaluate others. Indeed, you will receive even more. Those Those who have will receive more, but as for those who don't have even what they don't have will be taken away from them. Okay, so if you watched last week's episode or the previous sections, they're coming out weekly when we first release these, then you'll remember that Jesus is in the mode of explaining his parables. Remember, parables are these special stories, these ways of teaching a lesson that are very complex and nuanced. And it's a way that he's able to communicate these really huge lessons that he has to share in ways that can transcend just time and space in his original hearing audience. And he's having to do some work of teaching people how to read and understand and hear these parables. And that's the work that he's doing here. And that's a really key point. In what jesus is doing kind of stepping back away from him sharing a parable and then explaining a parable and then now talking to some of his followers one of the things he's pointing out is does anyone shine a lamp and then hide it under a basket do they bring it in for that purpose or put it under a bed no like the purpose of the light is to shine to give illumination etc and the key point here is that jesus is in this story here he's the lamp and the purpose is for him to be illuminating does that make sense? I mean, he's the lamp and the purpose is to be illuminating, to shine, to show. That's what he's here to do. Would he, he would he be the lamp and then put it under a basket? Or put it under a bed so it didn't shine that light? No, absolutely not. He's here to illuminate and to shine and he's. this makes sense when you see that it's coming right after him explaining these parables. He's meant to be understood. That's the key point here. Jesus means to be understood. He has very important things to say. And even though sometimes they can be difficult or complex or very nuanced, ultimately he means to be understood. And this may seem kind of duh, obvious, right? I mean, we have Bibles. This is a Bible study. Of course he means to be understood, but remember in particularly his worldview or in the time and place in which he's speaking, there would have been some communities that expected like secret knowledge, right? Or the something, the thing behind the thing that only a select few know. I mean, that might be even active in our time and place, right? The idea of the secret knowledge only a few have, or you have to get to a certain level to access it. And Jesus is nipping that right in the bud. He's saying, no, I mean to be understood. that's where he goes to the point about giving more and taking away. Ultimately, what he's talking about there is knowledge of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing is teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God. Remember the beginning of his ministry is the proclamation. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's how he starts and does his work. So the giving more and the taking away is ultimately about knowledge of the kingdom of God. Those who have some are going to get more. Those are the people who listen to him people who follow him the people who are taking seriously what it is that he has to say remember he's sharing this specifically speaking to his followers you have some knowledge of the kingdom of God of what the kingdom of God is like from hearing me from seeing some of these miraculous works that are taking place and you're gonna receive even more he's saying the same thing to us here too you've come to see some of it at work in your life at work in your churches at work here in Scripture and you're gonna see even more that's his purpose remember that shining lamp Remember, he's also speaking in the context of some people who are very willfully not hearing him. Remember, he's facing opposition. He's facing people who will twist his words. He's facing people who will try to make him sound like he's saying something he's not really saying or refusing to hear what he's actually proclaiming because it's too challenging to them, too upsetting or too destabilizing. What he's pointing out is these kinds of people who have so very little knowledge of what God is actually like, well, this continued posture of antagonism and not being willing to listen and to hear is going to result in the small bit that they kind of understand ultimately being taken away or lost to them because of their, willful, their unwillingness to actually listen and hear what Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the teacher, the shining lamp has to share. Does that make sense? So this is continuing to unpack and explore the very nature of the way it is that Jesus is speaking and intentionally the point that he means to be understood. So I want to pause right there. Whether you're listening by yourself, maybe you're just listening on a podcast while you're walking, maybe you're part of a group that discusses this together. I want to stop and I want to give you a question and that's this. Jesus uses the metaphor for himself as the shining lamp and he's uh, using the metaphor of it being put on a lampstand so that that illumination can carry forth and and shine brightly and illuminate others and illuminate exactly what it is that he's trying to share he uses that metaphor a lamp on a lampstand to talk about himself i'm wondering what metaphor might you use for jesus for example if you were to describe his teaching right and how it is that he helps us understand who he is and who's god is what kind of metaphor would you use If you were explaining Jesus to someone who was kind of new to this whole thing, what kind of metaphor would you use? He's like a blank so that people can better see and understand. Discuss that amongst yourselves. I'm curious to see what would come to mind. It's a really interesting thought exercise. All right, we're going to continue on. We're going to read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Excuse me, I had my wrong page there. Then Jesus said, this is what God's kingdom is like. It's as though someone scatters a seed on the ground, then sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer does not know how. The earth produces crops all by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it is harvest time. So, again, Jesus is using imagery and metaphor in order to teach people and help them understand what he's trying to say. And what he's trying to talk about here is what the kingdom of God is like. Now, at this point in his ministry, he happens to be speaking to people who live a rural and agrarian lifestyle. These are people who grow their own food, or at least are very close to the people who grow the food for their community. So he's using a metaphor that they would understand. He's using farmland imagery because these are people who know what farming is like that's what he's trying to do and he's trying to point out something pretty key here and this is about the nature of the kingdom of God and the key point is the kingdom of God is like fertile soil and people in this community would have understand what that means right in a previous uh, parable. Just last week's study, we would have seen Jesus using the imagery of how seed cast in different environments has different kind of responses to it. So one of the things that he's pointing out is the kingdom of God is like fertile soil. The people who are hearing that would know that sometimes when you plant in fertile soil, it just works. The soil is at work. It's nutrient rich and positive for the growth that needs to come. And that's what he's pointing out the kingdom of God is like. It is nutrient rich Soil. Now, this is important to understand because what he's pointing out here is the idea that growth comes from God. He points out the farmers, right? I mean, they're there and they're present, but ultimately what makes this grow is God. And this is a pretty key point here, right? What actually is the the force behind growth is God. Now, we talk about this here at First Church when it comes to our own journey of discipleship. So disciples are people who follow Jesus and yes, you can be a disciple with Jesus physically present in the ancient Near East 2000 years ago Or you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ today If you're watching this study, that is certainly a journey that you are likely taking And our growth as disciples, it's very important to understand doesn't come as the byproduct of us trying harder or doing more It's kind of a catch-22, but reality is is that growth in our life comes from grace that's the power and work of christ in our lives and so what it is to grow as disciples is not just constantly trying to lay more and more on our lives i should be like this i should be like that i shouldn't do this i should do that that doesn't actually get us very far and it doesn't result in much change in our lives what actually results in real change in our lives is encountering the transforming grace of christ of letting the power be at work in our lives the way that we do that is setting up rhythms in our life of worship and praying, of serving, of giving, of learning, of playing. And these means of grace are the means by which that transforming work and power of Christ helps us to grow. The kingdom of God is like this fertile soil. And living a life rooted in the kingdom of God is living a life in connection with that grace and power that ultimately leads to that kind of growth in your life. Right now, you're engaged in the learn portion of what we call healthy plate discipleship, right? Of diving more deeply into the story of Christ and Christ's work through us and for us, his message to us. This is one of the things that is a vehicle for growth and transformation and change in your life. So when he's giving that imagery, it's not just an academic account. It's not just okay so here's something interesting for you to know what he's actually giving is real advice for how you live your life and how you understand and experience change so god is the source of that power we're just here to participate And your rhythm and participating in things like that is how that becomes real and powerful in your life so uh, back to our questions individually or as a group if you're a farmer great i hope these were wonderful metaphors for you But if you're not a farmer, if you were part of a different community, how might Jesus speak to you? What kind of metaphors really resonate with you? If they're not farmland metaphors, what kind of metaphors of community or family or vocation might work for you? What kind of imagery might Jesus use to try to make a point like this more clear for you? Think about that for a bit and discuss as your group. When we really take those things in and consider them, it can help us to understand more deeply the lessons involved. So, Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. Jesus continued, What's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Consider a mustard seed. When scattered on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all vegetable plants. It produces such large branches branches, that the birds in the sky are able to nest in its shade. With many such parables, he continued to give them the word as much as they were able to hear. He spoke to them only in parables, then explained everything to his disciples when he was alone with them. So, you'll notice that what Jesus did here was use a parable to explain what the Kingdom of God is like and how it can impact their lives, and then he immediately goes to another parable to explain what the Kingdom of God is like. Simply put, the Kingdom of God is like something that's too big, too complex, and too meaningful to be perfectly captured with just one metaphor. So, he uses a second metaphor, again using this farmland imagery to speak to people who would know about what he was talking. So. One of the things that he uses is this imagery of a mustard seed. One of the things that's helpful in the day of the internet is you can go and Google and find some extra excellent resources that can help give you visual images of what this is like, but the kind of mustard seeds about which he's talking would be black or white mustard seeds, and the actual seeds themselves are really small, a millimeter, two millimeters approximately in size. Now, he's not saying these are the smallest of all seeds that exist on the planet. He's talking to people who have gardens and who plant, and he says this is going to be one of the smallest seeds that you all encounter yeah you also see what happens when it's planted in the ground right it grows and it grows quickly and it grows very large that's the nature of the mustard plant and how it grows and all the people who are hearing this would know that yeah a a seed that's so small it's just a millimeter in size eventually goes into a plant that's large enough to house life and that's what the kingdom of God is like Jesus is saying Now, does that mean it's not like fertile soil like he previously mentioned? No, of course not. It means that it's like that and more. One of the things that he's pointing out here is that it's the nature of the kingdom of God to grow and to grow quickly. That's what he's explaining to the people who are hearing, and that's what's important to understand in our lives. The kingdom of God grows That's what church growth is about. That's what community transformation is about. That's what your own heart and life being transformed by the grace of Christ is about. The kingdom of God growing in you. You growing in the kingdom and the kingdom itself growing in the world around us. Again, Jesus uses this metaphor, a visual, tangible image, to help explain something that can be a little harder to understand. So that's the key point here. The kingdom of God is not only like fertile soil in which God gives the growth, but it's also something that itself grows. And be on the lookout for that growth, he's explaining, in your lives, through your lives, and in the community as a whole. That's the purposes of what Jesus is doing. That's where I want to lead us to our next question. Have you witnessed the growth of the kingdom of God in your own life, in the life of other people, communities in which you belonged? Have you ever seen faith and hope and love, reliance on Christ or belief in the gospel or what it means to actually just take this stuff seriously, grow in your life, in the life of someone else, in the life of a community and what kind of change has it led to? Let that question be something that guides your individual reflection or the discussion that you have now with a group. Okay, so finally, want us to focus on this last portion of scripture for today's study. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. They left the crowd and took him in the boat just as he was. Other boats followed along. Gale force winds arose, and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? He got up and gave orders to the wind, and he said to the lake, Silence, be still. The wind settled down, and there was great calm. Jesus asked them, Why are you frightened? Don't you have faith yet? Overcome with awe, they said to each other, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Okay, so pretty big shift in what just happened in our reading today. We went from Jesus teaching and explaining parables to a really big action portion of the story. To give you a little bit of an orientation, what's happening here is they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. This is a chance for us to bring our map back up again and to see where the Sea of Galilee is located. And one of the things that we'll notice is if you move east across the Sea of Galilee, you're going to be entering into lands that are full of non-Jewish people. Now, this is a pretty big deal in their culture because remember, their understanding is more than just Judaism as a religion, it's a cultural identity, it's our thing for us. And part of their understanding of what it is to be faithful Jewish people is to separate yourself from the world around you, to not engage with them or spend time with them, to keep distance. That's how they understand themselves, to be holy. Now, Jesus is taking people with that understanding of holiness and he's taking them to the land where the others live. We're going to get into that a bunch in future portions of our study, but that's pretty key to understanding. Now, also as a part of this journey is the journey itself is fraught. Sea of Galilee is a big lake and big winds can come in fast and it can get very rough. That's something that they're going to know and understand as people who grow up in this part of the world. It's also true that their boats are not super stable. And so being capsized in a storm is a real way to die in their community. And that's something that they fear is happening to them. Then it's worth pointing out that Jesus also in the boat with them is not only not scared, he's sleeping a little bit more on that point in a moment. So they're nervous. They're upset. They're very scared. They don't know why he's not doing anything. And so they rouse him and they say, don't you care that we're drowning? It's worth pointing out that they're not drowning, right? They're in the middle of a scary storm, but they're not drowning. They fear they will. That's not what's actually happening. They're exaggerating. So Jesus gets up and he gives these orders, silence, be still, and the storm calms. And then immediately the people who experience this, their reaction is not happiness. Their reaction is not gratitude, it's fear. Why might that be? Well, one of the things, again, that's important to remember is that the people who are in the boat with Jesus know scripture, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament one of the images that's given in multiple times over the course of the Hebrew Bible is this image that God controls the chaos of the waters. God controls the chaos of the waters. We see that in the very beginning of Genesis, when God breathes creation into being and the very spirit of God travels over the waters. God has control over the chaos of the waters. We see that in the story of Noah, this big long arc and story about God's ultimate control over creation. We see this when when God is speaking to Job and basically saying, do you understand the control that I have of all of creation and uses a lot of the ocean and sea metaphor in that as well? God has creation over the waters. That's a really, really key image that's in all of their minds. And all of a sudden, they realize Jesus has control over the chaos of the waters, which means for the first time ever, in spite of all this kind of teaching and these proclamations, you know, the Sabbath is for me, etc. They're actually seeing Jesus exhibit the kind of power that they know only God has. And their response completely understandably, I think, is fear. What have we gotten ourselves into? Who is this person and what's going to happen next? That's an awesome place for us to leave off. They are beginning to understand in ways that are going to be almost impossible for them to explain who Jesus actually is. So, One of the things that I wanna ask you is, what does it mean that Jesus is sleeping in the boat? What does it mean that in the midst of a storm and other people are just so terrified and so upset and giving up hope that Jesus is so comfortable that he's asleep? What does that say about Jesus? And what are some storms that we encounter in our lives or some moments that we've experienced at storms when we said, help me, I'm drowning, where ultimately Jesus didn't have that same fear? And why is that? Friends, I'm so thankful that you're continuing to study the Gospel of Mark with me. Can't wait to see you for next session. Take care. See you soon.